The Oscar nominations have been announced, and as always, there are winners, losers, and surprises. I've got a breakdown of everything right now. This video is brought to you by BetterHelp. Go to betterhelp.com slash Merle to get 10% off your first month, and stay tuned after this video for more info. Hello everybody, I'm Dan Murrow, here to talk about an exciting and, as always, ridiculously early morning with the Academy Award nominations. This was a really interesting year for movies and for the Oscars. There were a lot of assumptions about who would get nominated that were proven false. There were a lot of long-shot nominees that ended up getting an Oscar nomination. So let's go down some of the biggest categories and the biggest surprises. A couple of general notes first, though, about the announcement. I actually like the fact that it was pared down from what it has been, even before the pandemic when it was done virtually. It was a lot less produced, a lot less banter, much more, here's Riz Ahmed, here's Allison Williams, let's talk about the nominees, and that's the way that I like it. Just bring out a couple likable people to tell me who the Oscar nominees are. I think there are a couple of notes that the Academy could take. First of all, the logo for this year's ceremony makes me think that it's the 1995 Oscars. I get that it's the 95th annual Academy Awards, but for those of us who grew up in the 20th century, that's a little bit confusing. Secondly, I think they're like 90% there with the nominations as far as streamlining them, getting people just out there talking about it. My only other note would be to get rid of the break in the middle of the nominations because the live stream that I I was watching had some truly at times terrible analysis from some of the people that they brought in to talk about the Academy Awards. At one point, one of the analysts was talking about how disappointed they were that the score for Tar wasn't nominated. That was disqualified from the Academy Awards in December. Now, everybody makes mistakes. I make those kinds of mistakes all the time. The difference is that I'm in a spare bedroom at Arkansas, and that person is in a studio getting paid to do Oscar analysis. So I do wish that they could at least work on some of the analysis because I found much of it to be very surface level, very focused on a select few things, not very wide ranging. And that's what I hope to bring to my analysis here on this show. Overall, it was a very dominant morning for Everything Everywhere All at Once. It picked up 11 Oscar nominations. I was even surprised that it got that many. The most nominations for a single film, by the way, is 14 all-time. It's a record that's shared by Titanic, La La Land, and All About Eve. The most awards won by a single film is 11, and absent some kind of a crazy circumstance with ties and whatnot, Everything Everywhere All at Once is not going to do that because we have Stephanie Hsu and Jamie Lee Curtis competing against each other for Best Supporting Actress. The Banshees of Anna Sharon came in second place with nine total nominations, and then another surprisingly dominant film, All Quiet on the Western Front. This was a very late surge as far as enthusiasm. I didn't watch All Quiet on the Western Front until just two or three weeks ago as I was doing my final nominations and voting for the different critics groups that I'm a part of. And I think a lot of those people did what I did or said what I thought, which is that I should have watched this movie earlier because that would have been on my list of top 10 films if I had had a chance to watch it. And it's just something that people struggle with. I mean, I'm lucky in that I have a job where a lot of my time can be devoted to watching movies, especially during award season. And even then, it's a struggle to watch everything that I feel like I need to watch. It's got to be even harder for working professionals in the Academy who have to do the same thing or should be doing the same thing. So I am happy to see All Quiet on the Western Front so dominant in so many categories. But it is somewhat surprising because it was a late breaker. There was another film, RRR, which a lot of people had expected to be competitive 
competitive in so many of the categories where we see All Quiet on the Western Front, including Best Picture, but that's just the way that these Academy Awards races are run. You have an early front runner, then you have a movie that comes up with a late attack. We're going to see that in a couple of big categories today, and that's just how it works out. RRR ended up only getting one Oscar nomination for Best Original Song, which I really hope that it wins. Some other surprises, The Woman King walking away with zero nominations was pretty shocking to me. I actually thought it was going to get nominated somewhere, perhaps including Best Actress. Viola Davis was not amongst the five Best Actress nominees. And then Babylon getting just three nominations in technical categories. Surprising really only in context to the fact that this movie was built up as a potential juggernaut prior to its release. And another example of why it's important to actually, you know, watch the movies before you can really get a good idea of what the Oscar race is going to look like. Women Talking is an interesting case study. It only got two nominations, but both in very major categories. This movie had been pegged at one point as a potential multi-actor nominee, a Best Director nominee potentially, but no actors walked away with a nomination, no Best Director nomination. It was nominated in the Adapted Screenplay and Best Picture categories. The Whale also surprised me by only getting three nominations, two of those in the acting categories. It's three nominations when you stack it up compared to Elvis's eight nominations and the Banshees of Sharon's nine really does, for me, recontextualize the best actor race. Brendan Fraser long considered the frontrunner for best actor, but with Austin Butler's late surge and the enthusiasm for Elvis and a continued love for the Banshees of Sharon, I think that race is tightening up closer and closer and closer. And I think the question's ultimately going to be how much support is there for Brendan Fraser versus how much support is there for The Whale? Because there's obviously not widespread Academy support for the movie itself. Self. I'll touch on a few of my disappointments as we go, but my biggest one is regarding the film Decision to Leave, which was one of my favorite movies last year. Walked away with zero nominations, not even a nomination in the Best International Film category. Every year there's an exclusion that just makes me angry or sad, and this makes me both because I think that Decision to Leave was one of the best movies of last year. If I were the Academy, I would have nominated it in so many different categories. Best Actress, Best Director, Best Cinematography, Best Editing. If I were nominating 10 films for Best Picture, Decision to Leave would have been one of those movies, and I was so hoping that it would pick up something. And I know that the Academy Awards aren't everything, but they are a compass for some people to discover new movies, especially in the Best International Film category, and it was so sad to see Decision to Leave walk away with nothing. If you haven't seen Decision to Leave, it's from director Park Chan-wook. Please seek it out. It is one of the best, most unique, most interesting films of 2022, and I'm sad that it won't be represented in any way on Academy Awards night. So let's start with some of the headliner categories, and we'll start with Best Supporting Actress. We'll go through some of them one by one. A few days ago, I did my video on who I would pick for the Oscars and who I think will get nominated. And when you look at this category, I did okay. I went four out of five on my picks of who I thought would get nominated. In the end, Stephanie Hsu did make the cut, and my pick for the fifth slot, Dolly DeLeon from Triangle of Sadness, did not make the cut. Angela Bassett in Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Hong Chow in The Whale, Carrie Condon in The Banshees of Sharon, Jamie Lee Curtis in Everything Ever All at Once, and Stephanie Hsu are your five nominees. I was so rooting for Dolly DeLeon. She was so great in Triangle of Sadness, and it's kind of surprising, honestly, that she didn't make the cut, considering the surprising strength of Triangle of 
sadness in other categories. But this is a very, very good category, a good collection of really, really talented actors. I think that Angela Bassett has to be considered the front runner right now, but I also think that you could get the sentimental vote with Jamie Lee Curtis. And by the way, all of these performances are award worthy. Let's move on to Best Supporting Actor, AKA the race to lose an Oscar to Kehui Kwan. I also did okay as far as my predictions on who I think would get nominated. I went three out of five, but I actually did better on what my personal picks would be. I picked Brad Pitt and Paul Dano to make the cut in this category. They did not, but Brian Tyree Henry and Judd Hirsch, who I didn't think would be nominated, but who both were on my personal picks for Best Supporting Actor, did make the cut. I'm really surprised that they both made it in. Obviously, I loved both performances. I thought that Brian Tyree Henry, his role might be a little too restrained for Oscar voters. And then with Judd Hirsch, it really comes down to the fact of he has one big scene in the movie, but there have been people nominated for those sorts of things in the past, and they nominated Judd Hirsch for it here. All that being said, this category is still Ki Hui Kwan's to lose, and I don't think that he is going to lose it, but it's great to see so many other great actors, including Brian Tyree Henry, picking up his first Oscar nomination. Let's move now to Best Actor. I went four out of five in this category, and those four were fairly easy to predict. Austin Butler for Elvis, Colin Farrell for The Banshees of Sharon, Brendan Fraser for The Whale, and Bill Nye for Living were all pretty well installed as almost locks in the category. The one that I got wrong was that I predicted Hugh Jackman from The Sun to be nominated in this category, and it was instead Paul Mescal from After Sun, which is not a huge surprise. He was considered by a lot of people uh, a leading contender tender for this slot. I appreciated After Sun more than I loved After Sun, but I'm happy to see Paul Mescal in this category. I think he deserves this nomination, and it's great to see that you're not just going with the big names or the bigger stars, especially in the lead acting category. I was a little surprised that that fifth slot didn't go to Felix Kammerer for All Quiet on the Western Front, given the love for that movie. I understand the push that was being made for Tom Cruise in this spot here, but I am i don't want to say I'm glad he didn't get the nomination because he was a big reason why Top Gun Maverick was such a success. But I think that there were other performances that I definitely would have put ahead of his, several other ones. And so I, I really do look at the people that were nominated and say that it's a pretty solid slate of actors here. Let's move on to Best Actress, which was considered one of the more locked-in categories, but turned out to be one of the most unpredictable. I went four out of five on my predictions of who I thought were going to be nominated, but definitely not the names that I thought would be there. Michelle Williams and Ana de Armas, I thought were longer shot picks. They both were nominated, Michelle Williams for The Fablemans, Ana de Armas for Blonde, and then the two frontrunners, of course, Kate Blanchett for Tar and Michelle Yeoh for Everything Everywhere All at Once. But Andrea Riseborough was actually able to pull it off the self-funded Oscar campaign. She used her connections. She's nominated for a movie called To Leslie, which is a tiny movie that barely did any business at the box office. She was not on anyone's radar, and she literally just networked through the people that she knows to go on social media to start this campaign for the Academy Awards. It happened to peak apparently at the right time, and she now finds herself a nominee 
nominee for Best Actress at the Oscars. And yeah, oh sure, you know, like Kate Winslet sends a tweet and Andrea Riceborough gets nominated for Best Actress, but I campaigned for Toni Collette for months and she doesn't get nominated for Hereditary. I mean, Toni Collette, why can't you be friends with Gwyneth Paltrow? You could have at least gotten nominated, but no, it was not to be. Andrea Riceborough is able to pull it off. Of course, it's seen by many people to be a really kind of shocking feat of award season campaigning at the expense of of two actors that were thought to be in the front-running roles for this category, Viola Davis in The Woman King, who's picked up a lot of Guild nominations, and then the real surprise, Danielle Deadweiler for Till. She had been locked into this category for a very long time now, and her exclusion is a surprise. I thought that maybe Andrea Riceborough or Michelle Williams or Ana de Armas would sneak into this category. I never thought that all three of them would. That is one of the bigger surprises of the day. There's one that I think was even more egregious when you think about it that's coming down in a different category but I was shocked to see them both shut out and it just goes to show how some of these award season races work you can be a locked in front runner but if there's a break the wrong way at the last minute then you get shut out completely this should not be a judgment on the value of these performances Danielle Deadweiler in particular I thought did some brilliant work until I am sad that she was excluded from this category because I do think that it should have been nominated. At the same time, I, like almost everybody else inside and outside of Hollywood, have not seen To Leslie yet. It has jumped to the top of my watch list, and so I cannot judge the value of Andrea Riseborough's performance yet, but this is one of those things. People are going to be talking about this for a long time because this almost never happens. A long-shot contender from a tiny movie that's able to basically self-fund an Oscar campaign using her connections and actually get nominated... This is stuff that we don't see very often at the Academy Awards or any award show. Let's move on now to the race for Best Director. I predicted four out of five correctly on who I thought would get nominated as well here. I predicted that Elvis's popularity would sweep Baz Luhrmann into the Best Director race, but it was actually a surprise name. Ruben Ostland for Triangle of Sadness ended up getting that fifth spot. Gold Derby, which handicaps these races, had Ruben Ostland at 100 to 1 to get this nomination. I think they had him at 13th on the list of directors, which just goes to show you that even the awards experts sometimes can be caught flat-footed here. I would have expected Edward Berger here since All Quiet on the Western Front got so much love elsewhere, but Triangle of Sadness is also a really good movie. It was on my personal top 10 list for last year. It just goes to show you, though, that you never really can understand how the Academy Awards tick. And all of this talk about, like, well, it got X amount of nominations here or blah, or this guild or whatever, sometimes you just have to kind of guess, and even then you're not right. But it's great to see Triangle of Sadness getting recognized in some major categories because, again, it's a movie that I really, really enjoyed. It won the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival. A little surprising that James Cameron wasn't able to sneak his way in for Avatar The Way of Water, but generally, this is not a really surprising race. I think these are most of the names that we expected to be here, and I think it's going to be a very interesting Oscar race because I don't know who is going to take home the Oscar here. So let's talk about Best Picture, and then we'll get to some of the other categories that I had thoughts about. I went 8 out of 10 on my predictions here for what I thought would get nominated. The films that are nominated for Best Picture are All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar The Way of Water, The Banshees of Inisherin, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, a bit of a surprise there, and Women Talking. 
Like I mentioned, I got eight out of 10 right on my predictions. I had predicted that The Whale and Babylon would get nominated. Triangle of Sadness and All Quiet on the Western Front made the list instead. I am surprised to see Triangle of Sadness here, like I mentioned, although I'm happy to see that. I underestimated the Academy's support for this movie. And generally, I think that this is a very interesting group of nominees. There are a few that I would have liked to have seen, such as RRR, which, as I mentioned, a lot of people had thought was going to be in this group of movies as recently as two or three weeks ago. But you have a lot of different genres here. You have a lot of different types of movie. I guess you would have to give frontrunner status to everything ever all at once because it has the most nominations, but having the most nominations doesn't always mean that you're going to win the Academy Award. And when I look at this list, obviously I think everything everywhere all at once has a good shot. I think the Banshees of Anna Sharon has a shot. I think that the Fablemans has a really good shot. Those would be the three right now that I would install as the favorites in this category, but it's also a very wide open race. The Academy uses ranked choice voting for the best picture race, which which means that you, I don't really know what's going to happen here. This is going to be one of those things where I think that we're all going to be surprised or at least not know what name is going to be read when that envelope is open at the end of the night. And then, of course, we're all just going to be praying that the right movie is named at the end of the night. That's right. I am still going to talk about the La La Land Moonlight thing. I will always talk about the La La Land Moonlight thing because that is one of the craziest things to ever happen. So let's talk about a few of the other categories that I had thoughts on. One of them is Best Original Song, and there is an exclusion there that I was really not happy about, and that is Chow Papa from Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which I think is an absolutely beautiful song. It was displaced, I think, by the latest song from Diane Warren. Apparently, Diane Warren could, I'm not saying she does, but she could fart into a microphone and then send the signed sheet music to the awards voters, and she could get nominated for an Academy Award every year and then lose. Because she's in this category and Chow Papa is not. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio was also left out of the race for Best Original Score, which I was very sad about. If you've seen that movie, then I'm sure you remember Alexander Desplat's beautiful, lush score. If you haven't seen the movie, then I encourage you to see it because it is one of my favorite movies of last year. But that was an exclusion that made me sad in the Best Original Song Race. Taylor Swift also not making the cut in the Best Original Song Race. So sorry, Tay-Tay fans. I guess this is the second worst thing to happen to you recently after not being able to get tickets to her concerts. While we're in the original song category, I also want to mention this is the only Oscar nomination that RRR ended up getting for Natu Natu for Best Original Song. If the Academy does not plan a full-scale song and dance number for Natu Natu, then they do not know how to put on a show. Because if they pull this off properly, it will be the highlight of this year's Academy Awards. And if somebody's not working on this right now, then somebody's not doing their job. I hope that Natu Natu wins the Academy. Academy Award, but slightly less so, I'm looking forward to the performance of that song on the ceremony. The screenplay categories didn't hold a whole lot of surprises, though I was kind of shocked to see Top Gun Maverick in the Best Adapted Screenplay race without a nomination for either Best Director or Best Actor. It beat out movies like The Whale and She Said for this spot. Top Gun Maverick had a lot of strengths. I would not have put its screenplay up there as one of them. It was one of my favorite movies of last year, but I wouldn't single out its script. The other nominees I think are really solid. All Quiet on the Western Front, Glass Onion, Living, Women Talking. I can't really tell you who's going to win that award. I'm pretty sure it's not going to be Top Gun Maverick, though. That 
that would be the one movie I would probably disqualify from actually winning the Oscar. The best original screenplay category went about as you'd expect. The Banshees of Venice Sharon, Everything Ever All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Triangle of Sadness. Those are pretty much the five that were predicted. I was somewhat surprised that there wasn't a wild card nominee thrown in there. A movie like Decision to Leave or The Menu or After Sun. You'll often see that in the original screenplay category. It was pretty much chalk this year. I haven't seen any of these short films yet. I usually watch those before the ceremony, before I make my picks. But for the best animated short category, I'm 70% convinced that that entire category this year was a prank on Riz Ahmed to get him to say wacky things on live television. It was fun to see this early in the morning. My year of dicks. <laughs> An ostrich told me the world is fake and I think I believe it. In the best documentary category, I was delighted to see that Fire of Love made the cut. It made its debut almost a year ago at the Sundance Film Festival, along with another nominee, Navalny. If you haven't seen Fire of Love, it is streaming right now on Disney+. I love that documentary. Navalny is also a really great documentary. All the Beauty and the Bloodshed is a good documentary. The other two nominees I've yet to see, but this is a really strong category, and I think it's really a pick'em at this point. I mentioned the best international film race. I'm still astonished that Decision to Leave is not in this race. I have admittedly not seen any of the other nominees except for All Quiet on the Western Front, so I can't make a huge snap judgment, but given how great Decision to Leave is, it is hard for me to believe that all four of these movies I would give the nod to over Decision to Leave. Having said that, I've heard great things about every one of these movies, so it could be the case where it was just an exceptionally difficult crop of films to pick from, but I'm just very depressed that Decision to Leave is not anywhere in any of these nominees. The Best Animated Feature had a slight surprise in it. We had the four films that I think everybody expected. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, Puss in Boots' The Last Wish, and Turning Red. But The Sea Beast, for me, was a surprise. Henry Selleck's Wendell and Wilde was the one that Netflix was really pushing for Best Animated Feature. They sent out the screeners and the FYC and everything else. But it's The Sea Beast, which was an earlier release, that ended up getting that nod. So that's a bit of a surprise in the animated category. I don't think that Wendell and Wilde or the Sea Beast would be the favorite to win, but sometimes you get a movie in there that you don't expect. But I want to talk about one of the most head-scratching exclusions from any category at this year's Oscars. Really, I would say the most bewildering exclusion in any category, and I know that you usually don't say that about Best Cinematography, but Top Gun Maverick was not one of the nominees for Best Cinematography. All Quiet on the Western Front, Bardo, Elvis, Empire of Light, and Tar were the five movies that were nominated. And those are fine-looking movies, but Top Gun Maverick, first of all, how do you nominate Top Gun Maverick for Best Visual Effects and not nominate it for Best Cinematography when the cinematography was the most impressive visual effect in the whole damn movie. I was convinced that not only was Top Gun Maverick going to be nominated for Best Cinematography, but that it had a really good shot at winning. And it's just really confusing to me how you could sit and watch that entire movie and look at the incredible imagery that was captured in that film and say, eh, I liked five of them better. I love Elvis. Elvis is a really good movie. Not a chance in hell that I would nominate the cinematography in Elvis ahead of the cinematography of Top Gun Maverick. Sometimes I understand, as with the Best International Film category, oh, there's a lot of strong nominees. Somebody has to get left out. I don't understand this. 
How can you not nominate Top Gun Maverick for the thing that put the butts in the seats? The cinematography, I would say, was 60% of the reason that Top Gun Maverick came in and did such great business worldwide, damn near saved the theatrical exhibition business for the entire summer, was in the top 10 for months and months and months, and you leave it out? of the best cinematography category, I need somebody from the Cinematographers Guild to call me up on the phone and explain to me how Top Gun Maverick is not nominated. Is it one of those things where everybody else assumed that the other person was nominating it and they're like, oh, well, everybody else is gonna nominate Top Gun Maverick. I'll just nominate my fifth favorite thing. You know, just get it a couple votes in case it sneaks in with a nomination. So confusing. I don't understand it, but that's just how the Academy Awards go. What do you think? Was there a nomination that you looked at and said, what the hell is that? I don't understand that. Let me know down in the comments below. I have to say I'm a lot less angry today than I am on a lot of Academy Award mornings. Of course, I'll be tracking all of this leading up to the Academy Awards ceremony in a few weeks, so stay tuned right here on the channel for that. And before we go, I want to thank the sponsor for this video, BetterHelp. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. The beginning of a new year is often about finding that best version of yourself, but it's easy to lose track of how to do that. I know the day-to-day -day of running this channel means that I sometimes lose focus on myself and what's best for my own well-being and who I want to be. Therapy is something I've been interested in trying for a while now, and that's why I was happy when BetterHelp came on board as a sponsor for the channel. I jumped at the chance to start using the service, and I've already had a great session with a therapist that was recommended based specifically on my goals and needs. Mental health is something that many people aren't comfortable talking about publicly, but it is so important. It's not just for people that are going through a difficult or a traumatic time. I found that everyday stress can add up, and BetterHelp has already been useful to talk about some of that with a professional. BetterHelp is entirely online, flexible to your schedule, and convenient. After filling out a brief questionnaire, you'll be matched with a licensed therapist, and if you'd like to switch therapists, you can do so at any time free of charge. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com Merle today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Merle. Thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring this video, and thank you for watching. I will be back later today with Charts with Dan, which got pushed from this morning to this afternoon due to the Academy Award nomination. So I will see you later today and later on on the channel here for more movie news, reviews, box office awards, you name it. Thanks so much for watching. Until next time, stay safe, and I'll see you then. Bye. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. At Stangy Law Firm, we represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. Has the winter season taken a toll on your tile, upholstery, carpet? Call Cyclone Cleaners, 570-726-6200. For all your carpet, upholstery, and ceramic tile cleaning needs, it's Cyclone Cleaners. Also offering odor treatment and soil and stain guard. Choose the only cleaning company that supplies the water to clean your home and disposes of it when they are finished. 
Call Cyclone Cleaners to schedule your cleaning today. 570-726-6200.